Hello, my name is Cassandra Dula, and this is episode two of In Our Own Voice, a feminist legal podcast. So today I'll be talking with my classmate Alyssa about something that is typically a bit removed from the law itself, but that I think impacts the law in a lot of ways, and that's intersectionality. And specifically, today Alyssa and I are going to be chatting about intersectionality and the current events surrounding Meghan Markle and the royal family. Thanks for having me, Cassandra. So just to give a little bit of background, uh, Meghan Markle is a public figure who was known um, for her role on Suits, a a successful actress. She's from California. She's a biracial woman. Um, Outside of her acting, she did work with UN Women and was an advocate for gender equity, uh, had her own blog, and was a successful media figure actress in her own right. Then she started dating Prince Harry, um, and the media kind of blew up, and there was a lot of coverage of their relationship at first, um, some controversy when some British tabloids were referring to her in racist and sexist ways, um, but they got married, had a huge royal wedding that was watched <laughs> by millions of people around the globe, um, were a royal couple in the royal family for, you know, at least a year or so. But of course, in the past couple of months, everyone's been referring to Megxit, where (laughs) Meghan and Harry have decided to step back from the royal family and be an independent couple who are still advocating for the issues that they care about, like gender equity and climate change, racial justice, Um, but they are officially no longer part of the royal family as an institution at this point. And they're still working out pretty publicly the the details of the transition. So even seeing the press coverage of the transition has been interesting um, because a lot of the media has blamed Meghan in a way for being... um, of the catalyst yeah for this i mean it there everyone's calling it megxit not yeah harry's exit even though he's the one who's part of this family and he's been very public about his unhappiness growing up in the limelight especially after the death of his mother princess diana which was so influenced by the paparazzi um yeah so that's just some background about megan because not everyone is maybe as well versus you. <laughs> yeah, I do follow the royal gossip, but I think it's important. You know, I'm interested in it personally, but it following media conversations like this gives us an insight into how media portrayals affect society and society's yeah. portrayals of women and gender and race. Megan is a biracial woman. Um, so it's interesting for me to to, you know, read the news about this and still put on my legal analysis lens and my feminist lens and critique how this conversation is playing out in the media. Yeah. Yeah. So I think in this situation, like you said, we we see a lot of intersections. All right. We can talk about race. We can talk about gender. You know, there's a class component. Um, Megan is, is a commoner in the eyes of the royal family. Um, and I think that there's a colonial critique to be made as well. You know, taking a step back from kind of the Meghan and Harry situation, the institution of the royal family is a remnant of a colonial empire, right? There's a, and there's still this paternalistic relationship that remains with members of the Commonwealth. Um, and so the Commonwealth is, is a voluntary network of the UK and 53 other countries, but the roots are in the colonies of the British empire. And so um, specifically, you know, 
I know Alyssa and I, we've talked about how Megan's role specifically as a representative of the Commonwealth has looked a little different as a result of her different identities, right? Definitely. Um, so one of the first big events that Megan and Harry uh, have done as a royal couple when they were still officially part of the royal family was a royal tour of South Africa, where they visited different organizations and political leaders and at an event where Megan was visiting an organization called Justice Desk in South Africa that is an organization dedicated to ending gender violence, she gave a really moving speech to a crowd of black young girls saying, on a personal note, this is a direct quote, um, may I just say that while I'm here with my husband and as a member of the royal family, I want you to know that I am here with you as a mother, as a wife, as a woman, as a woman of color, and as your sister. I'm here with you and I'm here for you. I think those words are really powerful. You know, Megan is the first black woman, first black member of the royal family. Um, I mean, there is some uh, genealogy, there are some genealogists that say Queen Charlotte may have been um, of African descent or may have hid her black identity from the rest of the royal family. So um, that, that could still be determined. Um, but this was groundbreaking for Megan to share her identity so publicly with, um, these girls. Um, and yeah, I think one, I think to, to use her identity to take a definitive position on racial justice, um, on, on gender equality to acknowledge those intersections, right? Like that's a very powerful thing, um, that she was willing to do that I, don't think we've seen from other members of the royal family, obviously because they don't have those identities, but uh, still something that was kind of new. Yeah. Uh, Another example of uh, a royal initiative that Meghan was a part of that you probably wouldn't have seen other members of the royal family do was she visited um, a charitable organization that supports sex workers um, in Bristol in the UK. And she was there to speak with women sex workers speak with the organizers who provide resources and support to the women. And she was helping pack lunches or pack meals for women to take. Um, And she was packing bananas in the bags and she took a Sharpie and wrote messages of support on the bananas. And she wrote things like, you are special, you are loved. And it was interesting to see the media reaction. Of course, um, more left-leaning publications were really supportive of Megan and saying she's supporting sex workers. Uh, your more conservative British tabloids were horrified that she was glamorizing, quote unquote, sex work. Um, but that's, you know, another way that Megan's identities have helped inform the, the work that uh, the royal family has been doing. And I think now that they're no longer part of the royal family, um, it's going to be interesting to see maybe them going even more progressive. Yeah, yeah. Or even, you know, are there gaps now in the royal family's advocacy that maybe Meghan and Harry would have filled uh, that we don't see them advocating for as much? So I think, yeah, the ways that we've talked about Meghan and Harry approaching this kind of colonial history has intersected, it seems, directly with Meghan's identity as a woman of color, which, you know, in and of itself is an intersectional identity. Um, and so turning to to all of the identities that Meghan has, do you have any thoughts on kind of the ways in which Meghan's experience within the royal family 
and her relationship with the media has been influenced by, you know, her womanhood, her blackness, uh, the, the class that she comes from. Yeah. So while Megan was still dating Harry before they were officially engaged, this was in November 2016, the Daily Mail, a leading UK publication, mostly known as a tabloid, um, had a headline that said, exclusive, Harry's girl is almost straight out of Compton, gang-scarred home of her mother revealed. So will he be dropping by for tea? Um, I mean, just the racism in that headline is unbelievable because we have a black woman who is from California. Uh, automatically, she gets assumed associated with gang violence. Um, this article mentions her mother, who's a black woman, um, and her personal life. You know, just the way the press just dug into their portrayal of Megan as this independent but secretive black woman with this past who's divorced. Just something unprecedented. And, you know, and all of this, we have to remember Megan is a person too. She's such a public figure, but I can't even imagine going through that. Um, and so Harry actually took an unprecedented move for the royal family and released a statement through the royal family press office condemning the press, condemning that article specifically, um, and, you know, warning the, the paparazzi and the press to tone down their racism, you know, and take a step back and realize the impact of their words. And something we've talked about in our class um, with Professor Rangita is just the impact of words and language and media portrayals that can impact the laws and decisions that judges make, that policymakers make, that all plays into norms and gender stereotypes, racial stereotypes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think all of this kind of ties into, right, the fact that Megan doesn't fit this princess mold that I think I feel comfortable saying that the royal family had in mind, that I think a lot of the media had in mind. Um, you know, she was different. She was, she's older than Harry. She was a commoner. She is divorced. Uh, she doesn't come from the UK and she was an actress. She's independent. You know, these are all things that I don't think we typically see in, in spousal choices of royal family members, let's say, um, or at least not often. And I think, you know, this is this is directly tied into the things that we talk about in our class. You know, I know we just read Rebecca Cook and Simone Cusack's book on gender stereotyping, uh, specifically in the transnational legal context. But, you know, we know that these stereotypes are disproportionately negative and limiting for women. And this is, you know, quite literally a perfect example of that. You have all these stereotypes intersecting and coming down on this individual who has chosen not to fit any of the molds and I think that that's a really incredible thing um, I mean it's it's yeah. saddening that she had to go through it but it's really amazing that she's considered to continued rather to be an advocate and to kind of persevere through this definitely I think yeah going back to what a typical princess or member of the royal family would look like there's um, an article in BuzzFeed News just comparing side-by-side -side headlines about Kate Middleton uh, over the years, you know, she's married to Prince William, Harry's brother. Um, similar stories about Kate and similar stories about Meghan Markle. So for instance, there's a picture of Kate Middleton when she was pregnant in 2018, holding her, her belly as she's walking on the street. And the headline is pregnant Kate tenderly cradles her baby bump, 
while wrapping up her royal duties ahead of maternity leave. The headline from Megan, on the other hand, where, again, she's shown with pictures of her holding her baby bump, why can't Meghan Markle keep her hands off her bump? Is it pride, vanity, acting, or a new age bonding technique? Like, I wish I was making that up. That's just so... The only difference between these two women is one is black and one is white. Yeah. One is American, one's British. You know, all the the princess stereotypes we were talking about before. And there's 20 examples in this article um, just painting Meghan as a more... Um, I, I don't. I even want to say conniving, especially yeah. with with the the Megxit situation. Like they make it seem like Megan has been planning this. She's subversive and sneaky, and yeah, it's it's it really is upsetting because yeah. we can we can look at these things directly. We have kind of this perfect comparison that we can do. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, important to think of all of these things, to remember all of these things. Um, we could make six seven eight nine ten episodes about this one topic yeah um but we are unfortunately out of time for right now but i want to thank Alyssa for uh generously donating her time and her knowledge of the royal family to us uh and thank you guys for listening thanks for having me yeah of course